You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to MidtownColumbia.com. Anybody blessed by the time of just worshiping the Lord this morning? Amen. Tremendous blessing. I, uh, this is off topic. I wouldn't plan on saying this, but I have been just praying that the Lord would uh, just strip me of my pride and arrogance that I see in myself. And he's just been revealing it to me so much. It's been kind of overwhelming and just being able to sit with his love for us today was just, just meant so much to me, so much to me this morning. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, we should have one hopefully in the, in the back of the seat in front of you. If you do not own a Bible, please take that one home with you. We would love for everyone to own a Bible so that you can engage with God's Word on your own. We find that to be extremely important. Again, Matthew chapter 6. If you've been with us, you know we've been going through our series that we've just called Warriors. One of the things I want to keep putting uh, in front of you, especially if you're a visitor with us today, is please go make sure you listen to online. You can go to midtowntunash.com and listen to the first sermon in the series. It kind of shaped everything that the series, we'll be talking about in the series, and maybe help us have some of the same language and categories and understanding of, of what we're going for and what we mean when we refer to ourselves as warriors and refer to God as the ultimate warrior. And also, if you are a visitor with us, hopefully we were able to greet you. Hopefully we were able to learn a little bit about you. If not, or even honestly, if we have, we would love for you to stop by the kiosk of when you head out in the lobby. We'll have a, a little setup for especially first-time guests. We'd love to get to know you a little better. If you could stop by there on your way out, we would greatly appreciate that. Again, we'll be in Matthew chapter 6 today. One of the things I'm noticing more and more to be true about myself is that I am a doer. I like to get stuff done. When I see problems, I like to both come up with a plan to try to figure out, okay, how do we solve this problem? How do we fix this thing? And then I like to start taking action steps towards fixing or solving whatever the problem is that I am facing. Personal problem, a problem with the church, issues going on with family. Some of you in the room, I would say, are likely like that as well. I personally really enjoy the aspect of it, of coming up with, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to fix this problem? Some of you are more, probably more executors. You like, hey, what's the plan? What are we going to do? We'll do it. And you just love working and acting to get done whatever needs to get done. For a few weeks, we've been talking about fighting the good fight of faith, waging war against the kingdom of darkness, fighting for our spiritual health and fighting for the spiritual health of others. What comes to mind for you when you think about the role you have to play in fighting the good fight of faith? What comes to mind for you when you think about the call for us as believers to fight against the kingdom of darkness, fighting for our own spiritual health, for the spiritual health of others that are in our lives? Is your first instinct to try to figure out, okay, what do we need to do? What do I need to say? Like, well, how do I respond to this? Is your first instinct to, to maybe listen from someone else and, and figure out maybe what they did? How did they respond to, to this problem so that they could grow spiritually? If you're like me, your first response is to try to figure out what to do and not to fall to our knees in prayer. My first response is often it's rooted in this belief that I have that I can figure this thing out. Right? That we, we, we know what to do here. We can do what we need to do. We can fix the problem that needs to be fixed, the problem that needs to be solved. This is a huge 
weakness of mine that I tend to move towards doing before I move towards praying. When I see problems, spiritual immaturity in myself and other people, my first thought is, what do I need to do? My first thought is not, I need to talk to God about this. This might actually be my greatest weakness when it comes to ministry. Are you like me in this? Does your prayer life reveal that you trust more in your own strength than you trust in God? We're blessed, we're fortunate today to have the words from Matthew chapter 6. We'll start at verse 7 as Jesus instructs us on how we are to pray. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 9, pray then like this. So he's saying, when you pray, don't pray like those who are worshiping these these false gods. They're just heaping up or piling up these empty phrases that aren't effective, that aren't really doing anything, because they think that that when they go on and just say maybe these elaborate prayers or just pray ongoingly, that they'll be heard because of the show that they're putting on. He says, "It's it's not like that. So he goes on to give us what we know today as the Lord's Prayer. We're going to get into specifically what he calls us to ask for and pray for. But first, I want to make sure that we don't miss what he's saying, how we should be addressing the one we are praying to. Verse 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. We pray to God as our Father. We pray from a close relational connection with him. We go to him as one that we know to be loving. That's where it all starts. That's the foundation of the prayer. He is our Father. Then he says, hallowed be your name. This means holy is your name. As I said a few weeks ago, when the Bible talks about God's name, the name of the Lord is not just talking about the the letters that come together to spell his name phonetically. He's talking about what the very essence of who he is and what he represents. He's in hallowed be your name. He's ascribing holiness that God is set apart, that God is pure and clean and different from everyone else. I hope you understand the paradox that's just been laid out at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. He's our Father, He's close relational, and He's holy and separate and all to Himself. That He's the one that we can go to, that we know that He loves us and that He is with us, but at the same time, He's pure and holy all by Himself, and no one else is like Him. See, we need the the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus just to be able to go to God as Jesus is calling us to go to him. Because sinful people like us should never be able to call a holy God our father. We should never be able to have a relationship with him. The word holy literally means set apart. It means to be separate from and we get to call a holy, perfect God who is all righteous and all just. And we get to call him our father even though we have rebelled against him turned against him, been slow to repent, been slow to listen, to quick to satisfy our own desires outside of him. To be able to pray the Lord's Prayer is a miracle that Jesus accomplished on our behalf when he made us right with the Father. Our ability and our confidence to go to God in prayer is not based on how good of a job we do at obeying him. Right? I don't know if you're like me, in, in certain times after I, I realize how sinful I am or specific sins that I have committed, I feel like I need to wait a little bit before I can go to God. Or I feel like, oh, man, I feel this shame and I can't confidently go before the Lord. But here in the Lord's Prayer, he says, no, pray to your Father. Even though he's holy, you can still know him and go before him. Now let's notice the first thing that he tells us to come to pray for 
here in verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The title of this sermon is We Wage War from Our Knees. We Wage War from Our Knees. Again, I don't know what comes to mind when you think about waging war against the kingdom of darkness. I don't know what comes to mind when you think about pursuing spiritual health and growth and God's kingdom coming. But if we are not keenly aware of our need to pray to our God, if we're not keenly aware, then we have a a gross misunderstanding of what our role actually is in this war. It's difficult to comprehend fighting with someone else's strength, right? The way we think about fighting is we we use our strength. We muster up as much strength as we have, and we push on, and we endure, and we fight. But here we see that we fight through his strength. We fight with a strength that is not our own. We recognize our own weakness, our own inability to accomplish what we want to accomplish, our own inability to walk in victory on our own, and we recognize how strong and mighty he is. In week one, we established that any talk in the New Testament that you see about God's kingdom coming is war language, right? At that point in time, when kings ruled the world, you always had kingdoms trying to take over another kingdom. And if you heard that another kingdom was coming, it means they were coming with war, with their army, with their troops to overthrow the current regime that is set up. We also said in that week that currently, ever since Genesis chapter 3, the kingdom of darkness has some amount of authority on the earth and praying that his kingdom would come and his kingdom come and saying, come and wage war against and defeat and destroy the current regime that is set up in the earth. The Bible calls Satan himself the prince of the power of the air. This, this call for his kingdom to come, it's a call to ask God to come and defeat the darkness, to destroy it, to kill it, to banish it forever. The call for his kingdom come is the cry of those who are fed up of all the harm that's been done by the kingdom of darkness. It's the cry of those that are desperate for God to come and free us from the grip that this kingdom has over us. It's a call for the Holy Spirit to defeat our spiritual apathy, to conquer it, to, and to use whatever means he needs to use to sanctify it, to sanctify us. Excuse me. It's a call for him to come defeat our doubts. It cries out, I know you're greater even than my very doubts. I need you to show yourself strong in my mind, in my heart, grow me in my faith. It's a call to God to come and defeat any resistance in your heart that you have against God and what he's calling you to. It comes from a recognition and an understanding that God is more powerful than the darkness. Come defeat our doubt, our worry, our resentment, our resistance against him. Come defeat the desire that we have to not forgive the one that has hurt us. Come defeat our selfishness. Come defeat our insecurity. This is the cry of those who understand that he and he alone is God Almighty. This is the cry of those that maintain maintain hope in the face of the worst that this world brings to us. This is a cry of those that realize that even though there are certain sins and maybe habitual sins that I have been in over and over and over, that the God that is in me is more powerful than the darkness that still resides in us even when we are believers. The cry for his kingdom to come recognizes and acknowledges that he is supremely powerful. So I was thinking through this, I thought about at least two kinds of people that don't pray these types of prayers. 
the first one, we brought this up in the sermon about apathy, and that's people that just don't care. Maybe because you're hopeless, you don't see any good coming from this, or you just decided to emotionally detach yourself from the world. Maybe it's because you're too distracted from different things, but those that don't pray for his kingdom to come are those who, for whatever reason, just don't care if we're Christians. It's just not important enough. We'd rather spend our time maybe focus on entertainment, maybe focus on other things that we like to do. But to be honest, if we think about it, if we're not even willing to pray against the darkness that is bringing so much destruction in our world, we have to acknowledge that we don't care like we should. We're not emotionally invested as much as we should. One of the reasons that we don't pray these types of prayers is because if we're honest, we just don't care. But also... Another reason is that we're just too self-reliant and we trust in our own strength. Many of us don't pray his kingdom come because of our arrogance. I mean, yeah, it would be good for God to come and help and everything, but you kind of got this all figured out. This, this Christian I know that is struggling in their walk with God, I know that it would be beneficial for me to, to pray for them, but I think if I just say these things the right way, Right? If I just quote to them the right Bible verse, then they'll prob- that, that'll, that is actually what they need. Or maybe if I just, you know, i got to figure out, do I say it real strong and, and real like, aggressive with them? Or maybe I need to say it in a very gentle way. But if I just figure out the right, right way to approach them, then the type of change will happen that I want to see happen. We trust in ourselves. We trust in our abilities. We trust in the gifts that God has given us more than we trust in the giver of the gifts himself. For our life group leaders in the room, I know I've felt this in times when I've led our life groups that if if I can just be engaging enough, right, if I can just lead this discussion the right way, if I can just ask the right pointed questions, right, if I can just make sure that everybody stays involved, if I can be a charismatic enough leader, then, then our group will be what we need it to be. It'll be what God has designed for it to be. If I can just keep the conversation flowing and avoid any awkward moments, then then we'll be good. Then it'll really be a good life group meeting. All those things are great, but it is foolish for us to trust in these things. This is foolish. If you understand the war that we're in, that it's the kingdom of darkness that was here before us and the kingdom of God that was here for all eternity, that is waging war in, in, in our world and inside of our hearts and in the, inside the hearts of everyone that we come in contact with. It is foolish for us to believe that, hey, if I just say this the right way, right, if I can just argue good enough for the faith, for the gospel of Jesus Christ, then this person who's an atheist, then I'll be actually able to approach them and share Jesus with them. If I, can, if I can figure out how to argue good enough, or if I get better, you know, I, I know a little bit about the gospel, but if I can learn more and really be able to talk about it well, then I'll be able to share my faith with those that don't know God. Ah, we have trusted in ourselves. We have trusted in our knowledge. We've trusted in our giftings. We have trusted in the gifts that God has given us more than we've trusted in the giver, and our prayer lives reveal it. And our prayer lives tell the truth about what we actually believe or who we actually believe brings the change, us or the Holy Spirit himself. We need to be praying, God, your kingdom come into this person's life. God, they got all these objections against you. They got all these reasons that they believe are accurate for why they should not believe against you. Our, our, Our consistency in prayer is more important than our ability to articulate the good news of Jesus. Consistency. In prayer, your 
kingdom come. God, bring your kingdom into their hearts. Over, overwhelm any resistance that they have against you. Reveal to them how much you love them, how righteous you are, how gracious you are to them, that they would come to love you and desire you more than anything else. People don't come to faith in Christ because we win arguments against them about the reality of who Jesus was and is. People come to Christ because God's kingdom comes with power into their lives and into their hearts. And that is what we need. We need to be better at consistent prayer than, we're, than we are at sharing and articulating who God is. We need to pray, God, your kingdom come in my life group, in my church, in my life, in my family, on my job, wherever I am, your kingdom come. When you see spiritual immaturity in our church, maybe you see it in me, maybe you see it in other leaders, maybe in other members of the church. Do you talk more to other people about it or do you talk more to God about it? Most of us, we're talking to somebody about it, right? Somebody's immature, it's frustrating us. Maybe you're on a team, maybe you serve in a certain department in our church and that leader is showing some amount of immaturity in the way that they are leading. Are you talking more to other people about the immaturity that you see or are you talking more to God about that person? Who do we talk to? This reveals our hearts, our prayer lives reveal who we really are. Our prayer lives, what is often said in secret and done in secret, actually reveals who we are. When you sin, is your first thought, man, I got to try harder next time. Man, you know what, if I just, if I just do this, then, then I'll be better. It was your first thought, God, bring your kingdom your rule and your reign into my life. Press it into me and grow your kingdom in me. Listen, it is good for us to fight with all the energy that he gives us against our sin. That is an excellent discipline and practice. But let us not forget where the power comes from. Let us not forget whose strength we are fighting with and whose strength we are fighting from. God, make us good at waging war on our knees as we pray in your kingdom. So he starts off verse 10 with your kingdom come. And the second part of that verse is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The word will means a deliberate or fixed desire or intention. It's the thing that it's something that one desires or ordains. It's saying that, that we're, we're going to pray that God's desires, God's intentions, what God ordains will be done on the earth the same way that it is done in heaven, right? So we have to ask ourselves, what is heaven like? What is he saying? How is his will carried out in heaven so that we can pray that that same, th- same thing will be done here on earth? So what do we know about heaven? We know there's no pain, no worrying, no fear, no hatred, no dishonesty. No selfishness, no injustice, no abuse, no oppression, no poverty, no loneliness, no insecurity, no betrayal, no broken families, no idolatry, no sin. It's a place of ultimate peace. It's a place of persistent love and unity. It's a place of faithful honesty, perfect justice, perfect health. Everyone is trustworthy. Everyone has completely pure intentions where there is everlasting and deep eternal joy. And Jesus is saying, pray that the earth will look like that. Pray that God's will will be carried out on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying, pray that your your house or your apartment or your family, that there will be more joy and patience, more trust, more truth, more peace in your home. 
that your place of employment, that there will be less selfishness, that there will be less gossip, that more people would know and follow Jesus where you work, that in your neighborhood, in our city, in our world, there will be more justice, more love, more unity, less heartache, less injustice, less abuse. He's saying pray for these things to be done on earth as it is in heaven. When our church first started, that was something that was inescapable, inescapably on my heart and on my mind. God, make inner city two-notch road, impoverished communities along two-notch road look more and more like heaven every day. Cause them to look more and more like heaven every day. Father, restore families because we know in heaven that, that, that we have a perfect relationship with our father and with our siblings, with our brothers and sisters in the faith. Father, we know that in, in, in heaven there's no injustice. That your righteousness and your justice reigns, Father. Cause your righteousness to flow here onto Nacho Father, we know that in heaven everyone worships you and understands that you are better than everything else. God, cause that to be true right here on Two Notch Road. God, that we know on Two Notch Road, everyone is, I mean, we know in heaven everyone is taken care of. No one is abandoned. No one is left alone. There is no loneliness at all in heaven. God, make that true here and use us to do it in whatever way you choose. Move us outside of our comfort zones if you need to. Call us to great sacrifice if you need to. God, whatever you have to do, make that true, that your will will be done here on Two Notch Road as it is in heaven. And this is one of the reasons that I love and I am so grateful for, and I want to encourage every member on our prayer walk team in our church. If you're not very familiar with our church, we have a a group of people that walk through the Pinehurst neighborhood, which is about a mile or so that way, um, probably a mile and a half at this point that way, and they just every week knock on people's doors and pray for them. Get invited on people's porches, sometimes get invited inside people's houses and just pray for them. Praying that God's will will be done in their life. That God's kingdom will come with power right here in this very neighborhood, in our communities. This is what God has called us to do. This is what our Savior has called us to do, to pray that his kingdom will come, that his will will be, his will will be done. Every time we pray for people to be healed, Every time we pray that some will come to know Jesus, every time we pray that God would provide for those who are in need, we are praying his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to encourage all of our prayer walk members. Let's continue on. Let's not give up. It gets difficult sometimes. It's a huge, tremendous sacrifice. Let us continue on in praying his kingdom come and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to encourage everyone in our church that just continues to persist in prayer for our church, for our city, for our world. Let's continue. Let's not give up. I know it's difficult to continue to labor in prayer. Let's not give up. Let's be encouraged that the king wants us to pray his kingdom come, and he wants to bring his kingdom with power. Keep praying for your co-worker to come to know Jesus. Keep praying from your friend from school that's been on your heart a lot recently. Keep praying for the area in your life that you don't want to surrender to the king. Keep praying for that issue of injustice that has you furious on a consistent basis. Keep praying for that family member that thinks it's ridiculous that you follow Jesus the way that you do. Keep praying for, your, for healing from your own doubts, your own fears, your own insecurities, and your own wounds that you're seeking healing from God for. Keep praying for that person that hurt you that you're trying to forgive. Keep praying that his kingdom will come and his will will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. I know sometimes for me, it's not easy 
to keep praying. There's many things that make me want to stop. Sometimes I feel like I'm wasting my time. Sometimes I, I realize my mind has been wandering back and forth. My belief is that people with consistent prayer lives are, are, are the ones who just keep jumping back in. Are the ones who keep saying, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start back over. I'm going to get back on it again. I'm going to continue to try again. Yes, I got distracted last time. Yes, I haven't been on it the way that I want to, maybe the last few weeks, maybe the last month, maybe the last year, but I'm getting back on the wagon now. I believe most who have consistent prayer life just continue to get back on the wagon. And in Isaiah chapter 62, we have this passage. I'll read verse 6 and verse 7 in a minute where we are encouraged to continue to pray to God. I want to give you the context of this passage. So God has set up the city of Jerusalem. In the, in the Old Testament, the city of Jerusalem is probably the most important city in the Old Testament, potentially the most important city in the Bible, right? So when God called his people to the promised land, the capital of their land was Jerusalem. It was a place where the temple was. It was a place where many of, of the priests were. If you wanted to learn more about who God was, if you wanted to meet the most people who should know who God is, Jerusalem was the place that you were to go. But God's people, if you know the story of the Old Testament, they didn't follow him as they should. So Jerusalem actually never fulfilled its purpose and the destiny that God had laid out for it. It never actually revealed and showed off God's glory in the ways that he desired for it to happen. If, you're, if you remember Jesus' ministry, he weeps over Jerusalem because it never quite fulfilled that purpose and that calling that God gave it. So let's read Isaiah chapter 62, verse 6. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance. So God has called these watchmen in Jerusalem. He's literally set up these people. He's ordained these people who stand up on the walls and literally overlook Jerusalem. Day and night, they overlook Jerusalem. He says, I've set them up all the day and night. They shall never be silent. You put the Lord in remembrance. We'll see it as we get more into the, the verses there. But what he's referring to is that they are to continue to remind God of the promise that he made to establish Jerusalem. And they're to continue to pray for that day and night. These watchmen are the ones that, that overlook Jerusalem. So they're on these shifts, and there's always somebody on the wall overlooking Jerusalem. And they have this, this, this duty, this task to put the Lord in remembrance about what he said. Continue to pray to him about what he has said. That there's never a time, day or night, when they aren't putting God in remembrance of his promises. Let's continue on. He says, take no rest. He's talking to these watchmen. Take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. He tells them, never take a break from putting God in remembrance. Never rest from it. Don't stop praying, he says. And then he says, and don't give me any rest about it either. He says, don't let me rest. He says, hey, come bother me over and over and over again and never stop reminding me of what I said I am going to do for the city of Jerusalem. Bother me about this. Don't stop petitioning me. Don't stop asking me. Don't stop knocking. Don't stop coming. Don't stop begging me to do what I have promised that I would do. Give me no rest, he says. I know it's difficult to pray. I know, I know we have challenges to continue to persist in prayer, but I think we need to understand God's heart here. That he literally appointed people to stand on the wall and bother him about the same thing over and over again, and give him no rest about it. That's his desire for us, that he wants us to come to him over and over and over again about the exact same thing over and over and over again. This is his desire for us, 
God, you said you would do this. You said you would establish this city and make it what you intended it to be. We are asking you to do this over and over again. Now, I know, again, as I said earlier, Jerusalem is this city that was set up specifically for God's purposes, right? That it was, it was this, the, kind of the epicenter of worship in the earth during the Old Testament, or at least that's what it was designed to be. I want us to read Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. I think there's something very insightful that we need to keep in mind. Colossians 1, 16, for by him, talking about Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth. So he created all things, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. It says all things were created by him, and it also says all things were created through him. And don't miss the last part of verse 16, and for him. He's saying that everything that was created was created for his glory. That Jerusalem was special in many ways, but one thing that's true for every city, for every neighborhood, for every community, for every, every piece of land that you've ever walked on, it was created by him, it was created through him, and it was created for his glory. The question is, where are the watchmen and watchwomen? Where are the watchmen and watchwomen that stand on the wall and look out for the cities that God has called us to and put him in remembrance? This was made for your glory, for your intentions, for your purposes. God, we're asking you, we're going to continue to beg you to carry out your will for your glory as long as you have us here. Where are the watchmen and the watchwomen for Two Notch Road that will continue to pray, that will continue to put the Lord in remembrance? God, you made this for your glory. God, you want your kingdom to come here. We're praying that you will bring your kingdom with power here, that your kingdom will come, that your will would be done here on Two Notch Road as it is in heaven. Where are the watchmen? Where are the watchwomen that will never take rest, that will never cease to cry out to God, to beg him, to petition him? Will we stand on the wall and overlook our community and give God no rest? And don't miss the last part of verse 7. Until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. God said, I want you on the wall, and I want you praying, and I don't want you to stop. And when you switch off the person who comes in your place, then they're going to continue to pray. And I don't want you to take any rest, and I don't want you to give me any rest until it's done. Until the thing that you are praying for happens, you don't stop praying. You don't stop begging me. You give me no rest. So we as a church, we don't stop petitioning. We don't stop crying out to God. We don't stop begging God until we see Two Notch Row look exactly like heaven. Until we see everyone brought to maturity in Christ and worshiping him. Until there is no injustice. Until there is no harm. Until there is no pain. Until there is no sin and no idolatry. We continue to put the Lord in remembrance. Praying his kingdom come and his will being done. Here on Two Notch Road as it is in heaven. I don't know what type of uh, church background you come from. I don't know if you see... Uh, a worship service like this as, as a thing where you primarily, you, you kind of come and witness what's going on while the people on stage are the ones that are actually carrying out everything and doing everything that needs to be done. But we're going to ask you to participate with us for just a little while. In a minute or two, we're going to put a five-minute timer on the clock. We, I'm going to ask you to get in groups of three, and I'm just going to ask you to pray together. You don't have to hold hands. I would, I would love for you to do so just as a sign of unity together. And we're just going to pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Any area of your life or anyone else's life that may have come to your mind during the sermon, you can just pray for that. We're just going to put five minutes on the time. You guys actually go ahead and find two people to, to link up with if you can. 
If you're a visitor here and you don't feel comfortable praying, you can just let them know. I think the universal sign is just like do one of these and, and shake your head. Universal sign and just let them know. If you're, if you're a visitor here, we don't want you to feel any pressure to do uh, anything like that. We want you to come here and experience Jesus. But again, if you can link up in groups of three, any, any aspect of darkness that you want to see our mighty warrior king fight against, any way you want to see his will being done on earth as it is in heaven, I'm going to invite you to pray for that now. Let's go ahead and put five minutes on the clock. You guys, you all may begin praying together now. Father, we come together praying, acknowledging our need for you today. Acknowledging that the war that we fight, the battle that we fight is too big for us, Father. We need a king who is powerful, who is mighty, who is in control, who can actually defeat our enemies for us, God, because we can't do it on our own. And we're grateful that you have allowed us into your kingdom, that you have made your victory our own, that you have accepted us just as we are. And you allow us to talk to you more than that. You desire for us to talk to you, to come to you, to let you know what our needs are, what our, what our pains are, what our frustrations are, God. We thank you for that, God. I just want to lift up every prayer request that was brought to you today, God. That you would allow us to see your kingdom come with power in ways that maybe we've been doubting. Maybe we haven't expected you to, to answer our prayers. Would you rejuvenate our hope in you, God? Would you remind us that you hear every prayer that we bring to you and that you are a God who does answer the prayers of your children, God? Restoring us the hope that we need to consistently come to you with our prayers, with our concerns, with our problems, God. And Father, we ask that your kingdom will come and your will will be done right here in our church, in our lives, in our families, and right here on Two Notch Road. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.